Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, EPL Index proudly brings to you the best prediction podcast in the world, a tad predictable, with your host, Tariwa Chanakira, and his guest, it's Guy Drinker. It's game week eight, you know what that means, it's time for another brand new episode of A Tad Predictable well, 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 we're back again at that situation that has been haunting the Premier League for a couple of seasons now. It's VAR once again, the center of attention. And we will be discussing that before we get into all of the fixtures that are in game week eight. But to, to bring some sort of sense to this podcast, I've invited executive producer Guy Drinkle to come from behind the screen and in front of the mic. Guy, this is obviously one of those suit and tie type of conversations. So we had to bring you on to, to class up the joint. The try to not get EPL index sued part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Martin Dave did his podcast earlier, so I've not even checked that fully yet. So we might be too, might be too late with that one. Oh God. Can you be bothered to do every, every I'm sure you just go for every week now. Look, the thing for me is I've, I've said this since the beginning of VAR and I'll continue to say it because I'm, and I'm going to claim that I was one of the first to say it because I was one of the first to say it because it makes sense. Why are they not mic'd up? Every single major sport that has some sort of variation of video assistant refereeing, whether it be rugby or cricket or American football, basketball, whatever you want to call it. Every single one of those sports, the referee is mic'd up. You hear the conversations that are happening and they explain their decisions after they've made the decisions. What makes football so special? What makes it so, it, it almost feels elitist that, oh, we're too good to be mic'd up. You're clearly not. You're making absolutely shocking decisions. And I'm going to throw it to you before I go on an absolute rant because guy, it does not make sense to me. It, it, VAR is so simple. Mic the people up. Make them independent from the actual referees that are refereeing each week so they're not trying to save their buddy so that their buddy doesn't embarrass them the next week. It, you're right about the elitist thing in football. It seems the only time we see a progression in in things is, is World Cups. 
We, we yeah. saw it at the World Cup. They were mic'd up. We had we saw the conversations. It was communicated to the people watching at home. It was communicated more more importantly to the people in the stadium who always seem to have a sense of bemusement whenever there's a VR, VAR check um, going on. And what are we going to do? Wait another four years till we fix this mess in terms of the domestic leagues? It's we we can't do that now. I, I'm only watching the Premier League, um, so I don't know if the issues span across to the Bundesliga, Serie A, etc. But watching the Premier League every week, like I'm not even focusing on the big Liverpool scandal here. You watch every game and you watch and you're like, lads, how have you got that wrong? How you you are paid money to do this for a living? There's Three, well, four if you count the four officials. There's three lads actually refereeing the game. Then you've got, what is it, two lads in the VAR booth, plus a Hawkeye official, which is probably more important for the Liverpool section. Um, it's it's so many people to be so... I know we don't normally swear in this bit, but to be so shit at the jobs. Now, I know it's a hard job, but let's say the Curtis Jones one yesterday, that is subjective. I'm still annoyed by it. I don't think it should be a red card. But if that was the only decision yesterday on Saturday, I'd be like, whatever. I don't think it's red. It's a red. Whatever. But um, say the Whistle one yesterday, the Brentford penalty. How? <laughs> Genuinely. How? The goalkeeper just hoofs him. Because he doesn't pretend to die on the floor for two minutes. It's not a penalty. He hoofs him. The only reason he doesn't dive on the floor, apparently, he's probably because either A, he's not a prick, or B, he was trying to score because he thought he could get the ball. He yeah. gets hoofed by a goalkeeper. Plain as day. It's, it's just, it's getting worse. Like, VAR was brought, VAR was brought in because the referees weren't good enough. What VAR, what VAR has done has highlighted how bad they actually are. We basically need, like, eating crayons level of rule book for these people. You have to simplify the rules, and that's it. Because you you look at, like, rugby, for instance, obviously the World Cup's going on. Now, rugby's a lot more stop-start than football, and you can pause the game and the referee biked up, talking to the video official. We'll have a conversation about the decision, look at the footage, um... And the video assistant will talk the on-pitch referee about the decision. And we all hear that. We're all privy to that. But ultimately, rugby, the rules are black and white. Now, I think it's a lot more difficult in football to make the rules black and la- black and white. But there is ways you can, like, sort it out. We've seen it in the past. We've, like, remember two or three years ago where they tried to make the handball rule more black and white? And then everyone complained after like three weeks and it got changed. I thought that was a stupid change, but it's, it's stuff like that needs to happen. Like there's too much subjectivity in the rule book for these people who clearly can't do this job. So we have to sacrifice the complexity of football rules just so the referees can keep up until there's basically Robocops running about the pitch, keeping up with play. That's what it's going to have to be. We have to either simplify the rules or make it that that stop start that we have five minute discussions and games are already getting 20 minutes added time. So we can't really do that for, it, for me to do. It's just I've always been a big supporter of VAR because I thought referees were 
terrible. But in its current state, I'd rather just suffer bad refs having a bad day. Like, I can't sit and watch five lads mull over a decision for about a year. But basically, I'd just keep it for, keep it for offsides. And 99.9.9.9.9.9% of the offsides, you'd think, okay, they've got that right, unless it's Liverpool against Spurs. So maybe I'd just keep it for offsides. And maybe tell the lads on VAR, pay attention to the pissing game. Probably help. But Guy, I thought there was automated VAR. We've oh, seen it. Do you yeah. get what I mean? We've seen automated VAR. So you wouldn't even necessarily need the VAR officials to to deal with that because it will be automated. So yeah. we, we're almost going backwards when it comes to domestic games. Now, look, the whole thing of the, oh, it's the Liverpool fans crying, you know, cry some more, whatever. It's going to be your team next week. <laughs> like, no, the, the funny thing is everyone laughs at the other teams whenever they, you know, there's VAR misfortunes. The, the Only for ref, them to The same to ref in our game was the Wolves ref. Who, exactly. Onana assaulted someone. <laughs> exactly. So, but the ironic thing is people will laugh and say, oh, your team's just complaining. Only for them to make those same, you know, cries the following week. And it just reminds me of, and I, I don't know if I have time to go through the entire thing, but um, there, there is a poem that goes, first they came for the communists and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Mm-hmm. Then they came for the socialists. I did not speak out because I was not socialist. And it goes through a whole lot of things. And then at the end it says, then they came for me and there was no one left to speak out for me. And it's that sort of thing. We just keep passing the baton on as fans of our respective teams in the Premier League, complaining when the decision doesn't go our way and then laughing when it, you know, when it, when it doesn't go for another team, opposed to at some point in time, the buck's got to stop. We all as fans have to say at some point it's going to affect us. So let's cut it out now so that it improves going forward. And as I said, I don't understand why they're not mic'd up. I cannot understand why things like Monday Night Football with with uh, Gary Neville and, and Jamie Carragher, these pundits who seem to have a lot of influence when it comes to you know the narrative of football in, in the Premier League. I don't get why these guys aren't the ones suggesting this. It's so simple. Suggesting that they're mic'd up suggesting that they're independent parties that officiate VAR. If you need people to train up to, you know, go in the VAR route, either you go, you know, there's a fork in the road where you go to the referee side or you go to the VAR side. Look at all those, you know, players that get released by academies at the age of what, 20, 21, 22, that aren't necessarily good enough for Man United or whatever, and either fall down into the lower leagues or just completely have nowhere to go give them an option of being trained as a VAR official or as a referee. That's a positive way to spin things. If, if you're really complaining about there, no people to do it. I'm sure those guys would prefer to be involved in the game somehow, but guy, we could go on and on about VAR. Um, as I said, uh, from my perspective, it was annoying to see, but it's more annoying when people start to point score for their specific club only for them to not realize it's going to affect them too down the road. These refs and these officials aren't going to change, evidently, based on what we've seen. The quality of their performances aren't going to change. So at some point, it's going to bite you in the ass for your club. Um, but it's quite poignant that the first game 
of next week involves the team that was benefited by VAR this past week, Tottenham Hotspur. And look, it's a fact. They were, they, they benefited from it. If I'm a Spurs fan, I'm just saying, well, it's three points. Let's move on. Let's keep the good times rolling. Don't, you know what I mean? Like it, 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 if you're a fan of a team that's benefited from VAR, you just, you take the three points and you move on and you try and get the positives out of the game that, okay, we've got the three points. We're still hanging, you know, onto the coattails of Man City in terms of league position. We now have an away trip to Luton, obviously a Luton side that beat Everton last time out. If I'm Spurs, I'm thinking this could be a spicy weekend for me because, guy, we're going to get to the last game of the game week, uh, obviously towards the end of this podcast. That's Arsenal versus Man City. Theoretically, Spurs could be leading the Premier League, if I'm not mistaken, come the end of this part, this next weekend. Um, yeah. If Arsenal do Spurs a favor, funny enough, against Man City, or if there's a draw in that game, Spurs could be top of the log come the end of the, this game week. Do you see that happening or do you think there's some sort of resurgence that we've seen from Luton in that performance against Everton? I think Luton have been getting better and better by the week, to be honest, probably post-Chelsea, I'd say. Obviously, it's not always resulted in a win or even a point, but like <clears throat> I watched the Wolves game last weekend. Um, now, it was against 10 men, and obviously Wolves, most people have been expecting to be in the relegation scrap, but well, they did just beat Man City, <laughs> so maybe we were wrong about that. Um <laughs> But they have been improving, and that's probably the difference between them and the other promoted teams. They've been adapting to the league. You see, I think, is it Adebayo, who was the main striker with um, with Morris? Um, he, he's not been in the team. So the manager is learning as he's going, and it's improved. Now, again, asterisk, it's Everton. It's not hardly Spurs. But you get the win on the board, and you're improving week by week. And... We know Luton. They will probably try and defend quite narrowly, try and push Spurs wide. What did we see in that Liverpool game, apart from bad refereeing? We saw a very frustrated Spurs side against 11 men, against 10 men, and especially against 9 men. They could not break down Liverpool until Joel Matip did an own goal. He couldn't couldn't do if he tried. (laughs) So there is somewhat of a blueprint for Luton how to frustrate um, Spurs, but they don't have Van Dyke, etc. So it might be a bit more tough. Um, Spurs are obviously the favourites, but as I say, Luton are improving. Um, I just don't think they've improved to the point where they can go toe to toe or upset a team like Tottenham. So I'd probably back Tottenham, and uh, I hope I hope Luton win because Tottenham fans have kind of come out. With, this annoying me, um, but I, I'd say Tottenham free, free one. Now this game obviously has that weird, should I say, um, juxtaposition where it's Luton who are the team that's going to be playing three games in one week, whereas you associate, you know, a team like Spurs to be the one that's playing the three games in a week, and whether or not that's going to affect their performance over the weekend. Luton have that. Um, extra game against Burnley that they need to play. So they'll play that in midweek and then have to play Spurs as well. Is that probably where the downfall comes for Luton in terms of making a valiant defensive effort against Spurs? I think for me, that's where it comes. Because, Guy, we all know it's a lot harder 
And it's a lot more running when you don't have the ball and you're chasing, maybe not necessarily chasing shadows, but with Spurs having to move the ball around, trying to find space, you know, to, 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 to get the, the creativity and goals against Luton, the Luton players are going to have to work their socks off from a defensive standpoint. And I don't know if they're going to have the energy to do that for 90 minutes off the back of the week that they would have had. Obviously, that, that Hartford win against Everton. We'll see what happens against Burnley, but you'd imagine it's a game that both teams are going to be eyeing to try and get a win, considering it's two promoted teams. That's one of the, the aims. Beat the teams you were promoted with, and that helps you you know, climb up the table. Luton currently outside the relegation zone. But unfortunately for them, they'll be hoping results go their way elsewhere because I don't see them winning this one. I've gone... 3-0 to Spurs. I, I, I do think Spurs are going to take advantage of those tired legs against Luton. And I think Spurs, as, as I was saying, the win's a win. Take three points. They take the good vibes moving forward into this game. And I think that's what also drives them forward with that potential to be on top of the league, obviously, depending on what happens with the Man City game. But certainly before that game kicks off, Spurs with a win here, could be top of the league, and, and I'm sure they're going to be wanting to do that. Let's move on to Burnley versus Chelsea. Obviously, Chelsea play tonight. They play Fulham um, at time of recording. That game hasn't kicked off yet. But coming up against the Burnley side, who, guy, I don't know what to make of this team. I mean, they, the 2-0 the loss to Newcastle almost seemed routine. I don't know if I'm being disrespectful to Burnley, but to me, from the, the you know, from the, the, the bits that I did watch from that game, it seemed like a, a routine Newcastle win. They could have kicked on to another gear if they wanted to. Um, and it's going to be another tough game for Burnley. The, the good thing for them is they're playing at Chelsea that's not in form. The bad thing is Chelsea still have a talented squad and it could... You know, at, at any point, it may seem that Chelsea team could start to click. You just hope that they don't start to click when they play you. Basically, yeah. It's just, it's strange, <clears throat> strange with Burnley because I've not really watched them have a full 90. And obviously, they've been a game down because they played Luton on Tuesday. But they have had a hard start to the season, which you have to factor in. But when, when you see the highlights, and I think I've watched one of the games, but that was against Man City, so what the hell can you judge of that? It's like, you just watch them and it's like, I don't know what you are. <laughs> like, you, you you mentioned routine. Like, I can't even remember the highlights from match of the day. Maybe the, the Liverpool thing obviously took up a lot of match of the day. Did, did Almiron score a worldie? That's in my head for some reason. Um, I, it's just weird. Like, it's almost been a forgettable start to the season. So, like, it's obviously bad, been bad because they've not got points on the board. Uh, a win on the board, I should say. Um, but it's against Chelsea. Who the hell knows what version of Chelsea you're going to turn up? Like, I've, the game starts in 11 minutes as I'm speaking. Um, like, they could go into this game, lose 3-0 to Fulham, and then you just think, Burnley have got a real chance. They could also go out and beat Fulham 5-0. Who the hell knows? Um, it's a very hard game to predict. You'd back Chelsea from just the point of view of looking at each each, uh, each of the teams, but it, it's so random to predict. I will back Chelsea because 
as they do have the players. And obviously their one big result so far was Luton, another promoted team. Um, but it, this is without any confidence. I'll say 2-0 Chelsea. Yeah, it, it's definitely a, a team at the moment in Chelsea that you can't put a result out there with confidence. Um, you've gone 2-0 to Chelsea, is it? I dropped my mouse. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. I've, I've gone 1-0 to Chelsea. I still think they're struggling in front of goal, obviously. This with the caveat of not having the benefit of seeing that Fulham game. But if I'm not mistaken, Chelsea this season, um, they've scored five goals, guy. They've conceded six. They've got a minus one goal difference. Goals are not going in for them. And as weird as Burnley have been, as ambitious, and I think some of that ambition has been misplaced when it comes to Burnley this season, where they're trying to be... um they're playing football like a team that is higher up the table with trying to play like better talent without, without the Chris Hewton years. You need them. You need the mud. <laughs> you you, need you do. And you do need maybe players with a bit more of a caliber um, to handle the, the style of football that you're asking them to play against the level of competition that they're playing in the Premier League. So, yeah, I, I think 1-0 to, to Chelsea purely leaning on, you know, Chelsea's struggles in front of goal so far this season, much to the chagrin of uh, Nicholas Jackson owners in fantasy during this, uh, what was meant to be a, a good fixture period patch for Chelsea. But let's move on to the much maligned Everton. They obviously will be entertaining Bournemouth. Not Guy, this, this start for Everton, it's back to back home games do you think that makes it worse for Everton that it's another home game straight after having lost to Luton because I think for me I almost feel like the Everton players prefer playing away from home rather than at home because of just the enormous pressure that's on them any bad touch that they make any mistake that they make is con they're like con straight away the, the the fans are on them and understandably from the fans perspective they're not seeing a team that they're used to seeing obviously recent history that this is how Everton have been playing but Everton have been usually that team that sort of hovers in those you, you know European or just below the European spots waiting for one of the 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 the, the teams that maybe traditionally make it into those spots to mess up and Everton automatically take that spot. That's not the Everton we're seeing at the moment. We saw how physical Luton played against them and, and managed to have some success. <sighs> Bournemouth, I don't know if I'd class them as one of the physical teams in the Premier League. Obviously, they were quite handily beaten by mm. Arsenal 4-0 on the weekend. Is this probably a game that suits Everton more where... I guess Everton can be the more physical team in this one and try and bully their way past uh, a Bournemouth side that has been struggling. Obviously, no wins so far this season for Bournemouth and, and two wins, two losses on the bounce uh, against uh, Brighton and Arsenal. Obviously, two tough games there. They had the draw with Chelsea before that, and then they had Brentford, and then they had Tottenham. It's not been an easy ride for yeah. for Bournemouth this season. We know they started the season off. Um, with Liverpool as well. Is this the come right game for Bournemouth or is the fact that they've had such a tough start, not had enough momentum, 
does that then carry over into this game? I'm assuming both teams are really excited to play each other based on, you know, the misfortunes of, of, of their respective opponents. Man, if I was an Everton fan, I don't think I'd be looking forward to anything, <laughs> to be honest. It's, um, yeah, it's a bit weird, obviously, up in the air with the new owners as well. I mean, they're getting questioned about failed payment in Brazil or something like that, aren't they? Yeah. So it's a bit bit of a dodgy situation all around there. Um, yeah, I think we say it every week. I certainly say it with Dave most weeks. It's like Bournemouth, you watch the, the Arsenal game, aside, kind of just... Put put to one side and bullied there, but you watch them pre- the games previously. Like, Bournemouth are playing well. They just have Dom Solanke up front and no one else to work with Dom Solanke at the minute. But as you said, you mentioned the games there and West Ham as well, um, who one of the best form uh, form teams in the, the league as well. They've had probably the hardest start to the season, especially considering a lot of turnover in the team, a new manager, and a completely different new style, like. Could they have not had a Burnley at home <laughs> just to just to kick the tyres in or work the tyres in a bit? It's like you couldn't just give them a, a gimme a gimme game. Yeah, and you you don't know with Everton like the home thing's so weird because the Frank Lampard season, even last season, they stayed up on the back of Goodison Goodison Park getting behind the team. Now, maybe that's just because it was a desperation thing and obviously it was the, the running for survival. But it does feel toxic uh, and a bit minion to watch games there at the minute. Um, I'd back Bournemouth, but I think Everton forward line could get at the Bournemouth back line because I've been impressed with Zabani and... Um, and uh, Sadiq, he's done all right since he joined last season. It's just quite young. Obviously, Kirk has at left back attacking, right back Max Aaron's quite attacking. So maybe switch to um, Lloyd Kelly at left back or something just to sure it up a bit. Because if Everton do go full Brexit, he can play Beto, Calvert Lewin obviously is fit at the minute. That could change basically in any second we're speaking here. Um, but if they do the two physical lads up front and just start whipping balls in, it could it, that could be a real avenue to attack a team like Bournemouth. But in terms of playing them off the park, you, you could see that from Bournemouth. I mean, you mentioned not the most physical side. Holy hell, Simon Hooper's still got his job this week. <laughs> what is going on? Sorry, you just popped on my screen. He's fourth official for tonight. How the hell's that happened? <laughs> Sorry. Um... There, there is some physicality in that Bournemouth team. You've got Philip Billing. Um, I think he wants to be called Philip nowadays, doesn't he? Or the other way around, I'm not sure. Um, Solanke's quite physical. Um, Semenyo's quite physical. Um, who else is in midfield? I'm still used to Jefferson Lerma being there. I think that's the one thing. They didn't replace Jefferson Lerma too well. Um, maybe play, mix it up a bit, because you've got Christy Brooks playing behind. Maybe get Uatara back in, or I, I, I like when we played them, or Liverpool played them, I should say. I'm not sure why um, Hamed Traore hasn't got more minutes. He came on and changed the game um, against Liverpool. Um, maybe give him some more minutes, but I think it's an interesting game. I'll back Bournemouth because I think it'd just be mad to back Everton at the minute. But if Bournemouth don't win this, we, we've seen it before with foreign uh, managers, Marco Silva, etc. 
it does ramp up. You'll you'll see it on Sky Sports News every day. Soccer Saturday every every week and be like, why did they sack Gary O'Neill for this? It's probably already started. Um, but I'll back Bournemouth because I like the look of the team. They've just had the horrendous fo- uh, fixture list, as you say. I think it'll be an ugly game and I'll be right there watching it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it'll be, I'll say 2-1 Bournemouth. All right, 2-1 to Bournemouth. Yeah, it, it, yeah I, I, I don't know what has to you know change at Everton what Sean Dyche has to do to sort of turn the ship around obviously you sweat over the the fitness of Calvert-Lewin every single week he's the one that you know gets the goal on the weekend maybe Decore should have uh, scored that one but nonetheless I think there is the bones of a team that should be able to stay up for Everton but it just seems like they're 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 trying to push a rock up a mountain and it, it or boulder up a mountain and it's not quite working out for them. I've gone one one guy. I've I've sat on the fence here. Um in you know, obviously Beautiful. to accommodate to accommodate you being on the podcast. Um I've I've sat on the fence here. I I don't know if either of these teams are going to be able to sort of be the more dominant one. I I I, I do worry though about if things don't start well for Everton if the fans just get on them and, and and it becomes an unbearable situation for those players. Let's move on to Fulham versus Sheffield United. Sheffield United, obviously that 2-0 loss to West Ham this past weekend. West Ham obviously going quite well this season, so maybe a tough fixture for them there. Um, and then Fulham play tonight. As we've mentioned, they've got that Chelsea game. Another team that's got a back-to-back home games guy, Fulham. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, guy. Is is yeah. the honest answer. There that's are a few the right of these an- teams. That's the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few of these teams that I'm I'm struggling to figure out. Usually by now, seven games in, we've got an idea about what a lot of these teams are and what they're going to be this season. Fulham have been weird. We've seen some phenomenal performances against Arsenal. I mean, even the first half against uh, Man City, they looked really good, only to then go and lose. 5-1 in that game. They they do the business against Luton. Obviously, you want to win the games like that where, you know, you're, you're expected to win. The 0-0 draw against Crystal Palace was the one before this Chelsea game. I think Fulham have to have to do similar to what they did against uh, Luton where they have to win games like this. They have to target games like this in order to just continue climbing up the table, continue to get to that magic 40 number and then um, obviously, in January, we'll see what they do and, and what the future holds for Polina. But it seems like a season to me at the moment for Everton where they're just trying to get to 40 points as quickly as possible. And then we'll really try and address things properly in the summer. I, you know, we, we all know how how difficult it is to strengthen a squad in January or so they say, according to the trope. Um, for this particular game, I think this could be a good game of football. Sheffield United, similar to Bournemouth, are one of those teams where when I watch them this season, they've looked okay, guy. Um, obviously, you, you you put that Newcastle 8-0 result to one side. But even in that game, that first 20 minutes, I thought, they, I thought Sheffield United played well for those first 20 minutes. But Sheffield United have been in the game and in with a chance to cause problems to the other teams for a lot and majority of their six losses that they've had this season. I don't want to send the fence again, guy. I'm going to go with a Sheffield United win because I think their performances have 
sort of deserved at least more than the the, the one point that they've had this season. And I'm I'm going to go with a, a result that I think maybe more with my heart here than my head. I I, I think they're going to pull out a performance uh, at Craven Cottage that gets them a two one win. I'm going to join you on your previous fence <laughs> I'm going to go one one. Um, I think this will be a horrendous uh, game of football. Um, Broy has just missed basic, well, a, a goalkeeperless goal, by the way. So that that sums up Chelsea's season so far. <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of this game, it, yeah, it, it won't be the prettiest game of football. I'll, I'll go one one. All right, one one for that one. Yeah, let's move on to Man United versus Brentford. Guy, is there any more pressure? I mean, we we ran a poll, obviously, on a tab predictable uh, Twitter account, uh, obviously X, the 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 website formerly known as Twitter. I, I think I'll just forever call it Twitter until it comes yep. up with a better name. But we ran a poll a few weeks back asking, you know, which manager was on the hottest seat between uh, Pochettino at Chelsea and Ten Hag at Man United. The, it ended 51-49 after 500-odd votes, which was quite interesting, uh, with Ten Hag just edging it. I, I think it's getting a lot hotter on that seat for Ten Hag. We know all the problems he's dealing with off the pitch. It helps to get fans on your side on those off-the-pitch decisions when you're winning on the pitch. It's a lot harder when you're losing and you've also got problems with the dressing room guy. Come up against the frisky Brentford side who, okay, they get the 1-1 draw against um, Nottingham Forest. Obviously, there was a red card in that game. You mentioned the whistle penalty situation, um, which obviously would have then resulted in Buemo getting points. But anyway, Man United at home, with the pressure on them to deliver, Brentford love playing on the counter attack. Is this game suited to Brentford a lot more than it is to Man United? I'm I'm leaning another upset, and Man United just continue with this struggling form that they've had at the moment. Obviously, they've got the two wins in their last five games, but guy, I think similar to the Crystal Palace game where. Um, Crystal Palace get that goal that allows them to sit back and try and, you know, be compact and, and break on Man United on, on the counter attack. I think that's going to be Brentford's plan from the first whistle. And they're going to have the likes of Mbuemo that are going to run into space. Wissa has shown to be a willing runner in behind at times. And, and his link up play with Mbuemo has been really good this season. It's another 2-1 for me, guy. I've gone 2-1 to the away team in back-to-back games. I think Ooh. Brentford caused an upset in this one. I just think the game is so well-suited to Brentford's counter-attacking football. Yeah, it's a bit strange with United. Obviously, they've got uh, Galatasaray in midweek. I, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's at Old Trafford. So not a big travel. But they also get to deal with Tangi and Dombele and Wilfred Zaha sourcing them up for now. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, um, what a fun team. Though. I've got to watch that. I'll actually watch a Champions League game. I'm, my team's not in because we're in the fucking Thursday shite. Um, oh. Anyway. Uh, um, yeah, I think what you said there is right, to be honest. The only question is, can uh, do Brentford do goals anymore? <laughs> it seems like one is their max nowadays. It's like Ivan Tony had the keys to more than one. Um, but you're right, it definitely does suit them. Brentford will sit back. You'll see him on the counter attack with um, Wisser and Embuemo. Maybe uh, Lewis Potter could join in on that as well. 
But there's just no... The weird thing with United is a lot of their fortunes and form is about Rashford. Mm. And anyone who doesn't have, like, little Union Jack, like, tattoos all over the body, I think I've seen Rashford as a very patchy player. Like, he's obviously been billed as their main striker and stuff like that. I just don't see it. Not, not main striker, main forward, I should not striker. I just don't think he's ever been that player. He He's one who needs to be the secondary, if not third wheel, the third wheel in in a in attack to be successful because he, he's too patchy. He's very patchy. This The start of the season has been downright embarrassing from him. Like, you watch Man United and you think, I know Highland cost 80 million or 70 million or whatever, but you watch him and like, there's more endeavour, there's more threat, there's more fun from a young player, Highland, who's only just joined the league, than there is from homegrown talent, Marcus Rashford, who I believe is on about 300, 350k a week, who, which is more than more similar to Mo Salah. And we're seeing what Mo Salah's doing this season. Like, They've just kind of screwed up building this team. They have a million right-wingers, and I won't go into what's happened to some of those right-wingers. Then they've only got Rashford and Martial for the left, who I reckon if he played on the wing would implode. And the striker, they've only got a young lad who's been probably going to get overplayed all season, one injury away from tarnishing his, his Man United start. It, it, it's, it's really stupid how they've done that. Um, and they've got a million other injuries. So, yeah, I'll... No, I'll agree. I'll agree. I'll say 2-1 Brentford as well. I'll agree with you. It's not looking great, man. It's not looking great for Man United at the moment. They they need to try and fashion out a result in that game because you want to then have the benefit of of that uh, international break to hopefully get some players back. But a loss in that game, Guy, I mean, you'd imagine a, a few of those teams in you know, above them are going to get results this weekend. We'll certainly see based on the scores that we predict, but they're starting to fall away very, very quickly from, you know, I mean, nine points already behind Manchester City. That's an awful lot to climb um, back, you know, to claw back in a season. The other teams, obviously, if Man United go on a run and, you know, we've seen it'd be difficult for other teams bar Man City to go on these extended runs. But yeah, Man United are starting to give themselves a lot of work to do. Well, more importantly to they were the seven behind Liverpool, the six behind Villa, six behind Brighton. Yeah. It, I mean, look, the, over the course of a season, I think you can claw back six points. I mean, there's still, what, 31 games to go. I, I still think that's fine. I still think you can claw that back. It's, it's when it starts getting into the double digit and it's starting to hover there when it comes to Man City. That's when, and you know, maybe you could argue that Man United aren't necessarily a team fit for the title race this season. But, you know, Tottenham are 17 points. They're a team that probably were, Man United would have been targeting in terms of one of the teams that's going to be competing for a European spot. It's starting to get a bit hairy. And if they lose this game against Brentford, the pressure really is on to, to start to figure out where they're going to get points from. I do wonder if he... They do, people do like getting sacked in the international break. Um, I mean, it would be massive, but if he got sacked in the international break, I don't think anyone could complain. Obviously, there's much bigger issues at United 
Glazers, yada, 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 money, left club rot. But to have them, where are they now? They're 10th? 10th. And if they, well, Fulham could overtake them tonight, actually. Um, it's, it's not, it's, it wouldn't be a big, like if I saw in the middle of the international break, Ten Hag got sacked because he's lost to Brentford, I wouldn't gasp at that. Like yeah. I'd be more shocked if Pochettino got sacked for instance. Obviously he's been here a year longer. Um, but it's just, it's just been unacceptable. Like I know there's issues. I know there's issues. But that team's better than 10th. I don't care about injury issues. I've seen my team deal with, our, Liverpool hired injury prone players for banter. <laughs> existed just to get injured and we dealt with that for years obviously we didn't always come second and battle Man City but we dealt with it till last season it's it's just you just got to deal with it much better you got to think of creative ways to get to get better and you got to get more out of your star players like Rashford um, but yeah it's um, it's an ugly time for United it really is. Well, let's move on swiftly to Crystal Palace versus Nottingham Forest. Forest obviously had that red card for Niakate. Um I was really looking forward to that Brentford game, by the way. And until that red card happened, kind of spoiled the game for me a little bit, despite it still being quite a good game. Um Palace, massive, massive result against Man United. They get the win in that game. Is Is Hudson starting to revive this Crystal Palace team. I mean, look, they sit ninth. They three wins so far this season, two draws, two losses. I don't get the same vibe, and maybe, obviously, losing Zaha is a big thing, but I'm not getting the same vibe from Crystal Palace as I did last season, um, towards the end of the season, when Roy Hodgson was, you know, all of a sudden prime Roy Hodgson. Uh, he had rolled back the years. They were playing exciting football. It seems more methodical, more, I guess, efficient, should I say, than necessarily a, a spicy brand of football at the moment. Is that enough against a, a, a Nottingham Forest side who have shown a bit of fight this season, Guy? Well, I think Roy's ob- he didn't obviously schedule in the United win. Hmm. So would you a draw? <laughs> uh, Roy is penciled in results, and this is a draw, if I ever did say. No, I think you're right on Palace. They've just been, I think steady is the right word. Obviously, yeah. uh, they don't have, no, it's just, I think it's only Dekure, not Dekure, um, Jefferson Lerma, you know, I literally named him earlier on the podcast. He seems to be the only signing that's made an impact in the first team. Obviously, Henderson got injured on his debut in the Cup. Um, that young Brazilian lad's been injured all the time as well. So maybe the second half of the season, that they can grow into it. Um, but they're just steady. And obviously, Elisa has been missing, well, which doesn't help in terms of the sauciness of the team. But this is why they hired Hudson back. Like, I still disagree with sacking Vieira, but you can't argue with the results. If they thought there was even like a 20% chance of them getting relegated with Vieira, they'd made the right decision. Like, the only thing bad for them, if Roy was 10 years younger, they would never have got rid of him. Yeah. That's the thing. They're just happy. Maybe it got a bit very stale towards the end of Roy's proper 
stint as manager, and it was a bit boring. But we've seen they are capable of playing decent football under Roy. So when they get Elise back in the team, Eze is still cooking. He's just brilliant every time you see him. He's, he's fun every time you see him. They just, yeah, it's just, they're just there. You just know they're not going to be dragged into a relegation scrap and they're not really going to go above ninth. And they're just there. And sometimes they like prove a shock, like United game, which might not be a shock anymore, let's be honest. And then sometimes you'll probably see them get beat 3-0. And you're just not bothered either way. It may seem a bit disrespectful, but that's how I kind of view Palace. It's like, on the day, you really want to watch them, but sometimes it's like, why are you here? <laughs> yeah. It's it's one of them. But yeah, Roy's done, a, Roy's done a much better job considering what he did at um, Watford, I think it was, when he got them relegated, basically. Um, but he steadied the ship. He steadied the ship and it's continued into this season, so fair enough to him. But in terms of Nottingham, I mean, that header from Dominguez yesterday. Ooh, that was lovely. But um, it's strange with Forrest. Because you thought, end of last season, settled team. Yes. Going to the summer. Injuries. Uh, lose Brennan Johnson, then decide another 400 right backs and another 300 defensive midfielders. You're like, lads, you sorted this. You have a settled team now. Let it settle. Um, but it'll be, I'm interested to see how Forrest settle into the side because I think Awani, Gibbs White, um, Alanga, uh, Callum Hudson, Adoy. That's a good attacking unit. It's just whether defensively you've got Sangard, Dominguez obviously started yesterday. Uh, who got sent off? Was it Nia Carter? Yeah. Yeah, Nia Carter. Um, I was, I was watching it in the background. Um, so defensively, defensively is probably where the lack of stability is because they obviously had Felipe, who was a big part of them staying up, got injured. Um, McKenna and Worrell seem to just be in favour one week, then out of favour the next. So I think if they can sort defensively, again, they might just become a team like Palace where you just think they'll be fine. Um, but in terms of this game, sitting straight on the fence, I'm going to 1-0. One, 1-1 all. One, one draw. I think uh, Nottingham Forest edged this 1-1-0. One, one, uh, Awani is kind of due a goal, isn't he? He was on that hot streak. We haven't seen him get a goal in recent history, but I, I think he gets back on track in that one. Let's move on to Brighton versus Liverpool. Now, guys, speaking of uh, polls that are run on a tad predictable Twitter account, we ran a poll this week, you know, with regards to this weekend's game. We had who was the biggest winner this weekend and who was the bigger lo- biggest loser. Um, I thought Brighton might be in with a shout. Um, obviously, in terms of biggest losers, we had Man United, Brighton, Everton, Man City. Man United currently have 49% of the vote. Brighton only have 14.5%, guy. Um, Everton, 17%. Man City, 19.5%. So people are not as, as, as harsh on Brighton as I thought they were going to be. Maybe I'm being a bit too harsh on Brighton, and maybe my expectations need to be checked. But, guy, this result has been coming for a while because they've not looked good defensively this season. They've been leaking goals pretty much all the way through the season. 
which bodes well, I think, for Liverpool because the, 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 the good thing for Liverpool is I think Liverpool's attack has been phenomenal this season. I still have question marks about their defending, albeit the incredible performance they had with nine men and ten men against Spurs from a defensive standpoint. But I, I guess defending with ten men and nine men is completely different to when you're defending with 11 because you're obviously going to allow the, the other team more space when you go forward. But from Bayern's perspective, their attack has been solid, I think, this season. The defense not so great. I'm leaning a Liverpool win in this one. I'm hoping for an exciting game. Two teams that like to play with the ball. But I just think Liverpool's attack sees them through this game. I've gone 3-1 to Liverpool. I know it's a scoreline that Liverpool have been very familiar with this season. I think, um, I'm, as I said, I still have question marks about the defence. But I think their attack will have enough. Especially with the way Brighton have been defending recently. What do you think of this game? And I know before we started recording, you were talking about you know, the two teams both have European football this week. Yeah, obviously Liverpool are very much used to playing two games a week or three games a week at times as well. Um, whereas Brighton aren't. They, who did they lose to the first time? Was it... Oh my God, Chelsea are 2-0. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> um, um, Athens, wasn't it? 3-2. Yeah, didn't they lose the Premier League game after that, though? Or am I missed? Um, no, they, they beat Brighton. I mean, Bournemouth 3-1. Right, that was it. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, I was misremembering. Um, so, it would be interesting to see how strong they go on Thursday night. Because, um, obviously, now they need, need wins um, a lot more quickly, uh, seeing as they lost to Athens. But you're right about the defence. I don't think they've replaced um, Caldwell too much, too well. Obviously, Igor came in, doesn't seem to have got the trust from the manager. Um, Adam Webster's just playing awfully at the minute. Mm. Lewis Dunk doesn't seem to be as steady this season. Um, Veltman at right back, who's always been good, but if I remember correctly, didn't they let him go on a free then re-signing. So maybe that wasn't part of the planning. It just seems, I don't know, it just seems very unsettled back there at times. Not, maybe the bigger issues, obviously, in midfield, because they lost McAllister and Caicedo, and the Caicedo replacement was seemingly um, Belaba, who is very young, coming from France and needs time to settle in. And, and you watch, like, they started that young lad, I can't remember the name of, uh, next to Billy Gilmore at the weekends, like go with the settled lads. I'm not sure how, who's fit and stuff like that, but play a Lalana there, play a Milner there. I think Mordehood was actually fit, so I'm not sure why he didn't play. Um, yeah, sometimes you just got to go with the experienced, steady lads rather than giving extra young talent minutes, and that's what we've seen from Aston Villa. There's just Loads of dependable players with a bit of sprinkling of excitement from your Diabies and stuff. Like you look at their midfield: Douglas, Louise, Kamara, McGinn. Um, I think Zaniolo started, um, but then they can bring on Jacob Ramsey, etc. It's just, it's kind of what you want from a midfield is just to be able to build on a structure and have a bit of a bit of excitement at times. Um, whereas Brighton, you're like Billy Gilmore, good player. 
looked good last season, but he was next to Caicedo and Co. So being the main man, is that for him? Um, Belaver, we don't know. Just, just go with your Dahoods, your, your Lalanas, your Milners, um, next to a Gilmore, I think. I think that's what would be best for them. But in terms of the game, um, it's tough because we're obviously missing Jones. Well, I, I doubt the appeal goes through. Like, I reckon we just added on an extra game to his suspension there for no reason. Um, um, so we'll be without Jones, like, 80% sure on that. Uh, Jota's missing, Gakpo's missing. So we're going to... Gravenberch, will he be up to the test straight away? Will we go with Endo, maybe presumably as a safer pair of hands? <coughs> I'd probably I'd probably run with Gravenberch myself because I think Endo's looked a bit off pace at times, and you don't want to be off pace against a team like Brighton. Um, but I kind of want to sit on the fence again with a draw. But I'm pretty sure Deserby's never lost back to back games in the Premier League. So maybe that maybe Europe, if he wins in Europe, they can lose another game. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an interesting ah oh God. Um Oh it's a tough one. Two all. Alright, that that would be an exciting game for neutrals, I guess. a, a, a two all draw there. Guy, that game is obviously at two o'clock on Sunday. It's the Sky Sports um game. They're they're three games at two o'clock this coming Sunday, but um, if you guys want to not have to worry about that kind of stuff, obviously link up with our presenting sponsors, Liberty Shield. They're a VPN provider. You can check out their services at libertyshield.com. You guys can save with the coupon code EPL25 for 25% off your router or the software VPN, which downloads straight onto your devices. It's a virtual private network, which is a technology that encrypts your internet traffic to protect your online identity. It hides your IP address it shields your online data from third parties you guys can change your locations avoid geoblocks and government imposed restrictions to access any website also go and check out epl index shop you can find it on etsy use the coupon code epl10 you'll get 10 percent off at checkout guy west ham versus newcastle two teams that are in a good way at the moment newcastle after that tough sort of start to the season They've got their three wins on the bounce. Um, they're beating the teams they need to be beating. West Ham, on the other hand, um, obviously recently had those two tough games against Man City and then Liverpool. But a- apart from those games, they've been doing really well this season. I've enjoyed West Ham's start to the season. Obviously, a big contrast to how they started last season. Two teams in relatively good form, Guy. Where are you leaning on this one? It's a tough one, isn't it? I think this will be a fun game. Um, it's almost a shame it's not on TV, but it's Liverpool are, so I'm not going to complain. <laughs> um, saves me a job. Um, yeah, it's a hard one to predict. I think both teams aren't afraid to sit in and play a bit defensively if needs be. We obviously saw, most obviously, Newcastle in the Champions League did that to great effect against Milan. Um, I believe PSG... Are going to Newcastle this week? I think. Um, so that'll be an experience. Um, 
do you reckon him? Oh, Mbappe has heard of Newcastle because Griezmann signed him on a Fenway. Yes. <laughs> yes, so that'll be fun. He can finally sign for his future team. <laughs> I'll see his future team. Um, ah, it's a tough one because, both, again, both got midweek games. Newcastle's squad probably a bit deeper. Ooh, I do think New, um, Newcastle have players to keep like Antonio quite quiet. Like I think Botman matches up quite well with him. He's out for three, like. I oh, is he out? For oh. a couple of months, yeah. Oh, that makes him more interesting. So, <laughs> Kudus up front, Danny Ings up front. No, no, I mean, I mean, Botman's out. Sorry. Oh, Botman's out. Oh, yeah, that's Botman's the one. My bad. My bad. Okay, that might mean that might sway me. So who the hell played? Is it Dan Byrne? Mm. Dan Byrne, Shaw. Lewis Hall at left back. I'm thinking that's advantage West Ham. I think that's a get atable invented yeah, word. Defense. We can see how they line up midweek, but it was uh LaSalle and Shaw in, in against uh Burnley with Dan Byrne at left back. So Trippier, LaSalle, Shaw, Byrne was the back four. Ooh. That against, that, against, that against Mbappe is going to be <laughs> <laughs> But I do um, think Mikel Antonio would fancy himself against that, yeah. that back line. And, and Jared Bowen, play, more importantly, playing off. Yeah. Well. I'll back West Ham, I think, here. Have you talked I'll yourself go, into a West Ham I have, I have, I have. I'll go one nil West Ham. Ooh. Very efficient result that will be. Uh <sighs> I, I, I was talking myself also into a West Ham win uh, the more I was looking at Newcastle's back line. But we've seen Newcastle have been quite resolute defensively, even, you know, spanning back to last season as well. I, th- I think they're going to be able to keep it tight at the back. Trippier's playing phenomenal football at the moment. Um, again, does he play the whole game against PSG? Maybe if the, you know, if, if the game isn't going too well, they, they take some of those players off, or if it's going really well, they take some of the players off. We'll, we will see how that game pans out, but I'd imagine a lot of Newcastle's concentration from the players' perspective is going to be on that game, how well they recover and how quickly they recover for this West Ham game. I'm not sure. I've got 1-1 one, one draw in this one. I've sat on the fence. Let's move on to the conquering Wolves. They got that win against Man City last time out. They entertain Aston Villa and boy, oh boy, guy, were Aston Villa on it this weekend. I mean, I, I, I was one of those people that switched this game on sort of, you know, uh, expecting it to be an exciting game, a competitive game, two teams that caused havoc for, you know, all of the, 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 pretty much everyone in the league last season. And Brighton just got torn absolutely apart in this world. Obviously, I think it was a lot of credit to how clinical Aston Villa were. If you look at some of the chances that they did have, maybe some of those don't always go in. Um, but yeah, it, it happened to go in in this game. Watkins looked like a, you know, the Watkins that has been prom, you know, has been promising to come out for many a seasons now. Coming up against Wolves team that will be quite buoyant and probably come back to a hero's welcome um, at Molyneux. What 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 sort of game are you expecting in this one? I I think Aston Villa are going to have enough in this one. Obviously, they'll be sweating over the the fitness of Diaby. 
he's been really, really good as a, a, a link-up player with Watkins. It seemed like he walked off fine. You know, um, that that's always a dangerous thing to, 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 to go off of. But if he's fine for this game, I think Aston Villa have enough to cause a lot of problems to Wolves. I've gone 3-1 uh, to Aston Villa. Yeah, I think it's weird, isn't it? Because Villa are obviously such a different team away from home. Yeah, That's the only thing that's putting slight question mark on this. Um, and obviously they need the result in Europe as well, so they might go extra strong in that. And we've seen in the League Cup and Europe when Villa rotate even a little bit, it's not that pretty. Like, Yuri Tielmans has forgot how to play football, seemingly. Um <laughs> And defensively, they're still quite thin, I think. Um, so if they go really strong on Thursday, I could see a Wolves win or a draw. But without knowing what the team will be, you'd have to back Villa. But it wouldn't, I don't want to go too many draws, so I won't say it. But it wouldn't surprise me if it is a draw. I'll back Villa as well. But Wolves were really good against Man City. But they do seem to be slightly bogeyish team for Man City. And we know bogey teams don't do logic. So maybe they won't take this into the Villa game. So I'll back Villa as well. I'll go 1-0 Villa. I think it might be a bit tight and a bit ugly at times. Um, but, yeah, Villa, Villa's just a strange team. And if, if Diaby's fit, he's such a, he's such, been such a good start to his um, Villa career. Um, whereas Wolves... I, can they play the same way? They obviously had um, Craig Dawson kind of as the spare defender, just man-marking Haaland. Yeah. I don't think he can do that against Villa. Like, Watkins will play a lot more outside the box than than someone like Haaland, I think. So it's a very different threat. Um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll stick with 1-0 Villa. I think it'll be an interesting game. Maybe not the highest scoring or something like that, but it, it's an interesting one. Okay, let's move to what many would say is the game of the weekend, Arsenal versus Man City. We saw how crucial these games were in terms of psychological blows um, when it came to these two teams last season when Arsenal were trying to to keep up with Man City, or at the, I think they were ahead of Man City at that point in time. But Arsenal in good form at the moment, Guy. Man City look a bit shaky, Um I know it's always a dangerous thing to to say Man City looks shaky. Uh, it's their first loss of the season. I've not been impressed by Man City at the start of the season, but I've expected to not be impressed by Man City because they always start the season quite slow. They, they'll get the points on the board, but they're not firing on all cylinders until about like Feb. Feb is when they're, they're like, okay, should, should we actually... Start playing proper football. Today, with the one treble, at no point I was like, "Wow, that's Man City." <laughs> they just this boringly won every game they played. It was like, oh, "Okay, it's cool." Absolutely <laughs> incredible. But the one thing, though, guy, and and obviously it's the, the the slow start that they have. It's also the players that they won't have for this game. Rodri is so key to how Man City play. Those those niggly fouls that he gives away the 500 fouls he gives away and only gets maybe half a yellow card after all of those fouls that's a big man to not have he's arguably the best defensive midfielder in the Premier League if not in the world at the moment Mm. that's massive 
And then you look at some of the other, you know, players that they, they haven't had available recently. It looks like the best player at the moment for them has been Alvarez. You can't be expecting him to do that week in, week out, at, you know, being such a young player, but maybe needs must at the moment. Arsenal, as we said, from their perspective, playing well at the moment. They've had some shaky results. Um, you know, we, we look back to that Fulham result where somehow they, they, they managed to not win that game, but, but full credit to, to Fulham in that one. They had that struggles against Everton. Um, they obviously had that 2-2 draw against West, um, against Tottenham in, you know, two weeks ago and then looked quite comfortable against Bournemouth. I don't know which version of Man City we see in this game. My issue, guy, for this game is Arteta seems to sometimes get in the way of the team. Very similar to the guy he trained under, Pep Guardiola. We've seen what he does in finals sometimes. Is Arteta going to overthink this? I think Pep usually doesn't overthink the games against uh, against Arteta, but I'm worried Arteta is going to overthink this and it's going to complicate situation for him. On paper, based on how the teams are playing, I think this game should be Arsenal's for the taking and they should finally get that one over Man City. I'm just worried Arteta's going to do something crazy that's going to balance things out. And because of that, I've gone with a 2-1 Man City win. El Nini up front against um, Haaland, <laughs> centre-back here. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's obviously interesting. I think the thing with Man City and Rodri is it was obviously Nunes and um, Kovacic who started in midfield at the weekend. Yeah. And I believe Kovacic was coming off an injury. So maybe he'll be fitter next week. I don't care if you hate Calvin Phillips. He's a better six than either of the two I named. Yeah. Like, you bought him for a reason. And the reason was obviously to rotate and be a backup for Rodri. Do that. Like... Kovacic is an excellent player. He's not a number six. Mateus Nunes is a good player. He's not a number six. You will need a number six, and you will need someone like Kovacic next to that number six to do extra defensive work against a team that has Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli, and whoever the hell up front. You, you need that defensive head there. So he needs to give him minutes in the middle of the week to get him ready, because he's obviously barely played in about two years. Um, it's just very weird. Um, but I just can't, in this game, in this fixture, you just can't back Arsenal. Man City have a voodoo over them. They just do. I don't care about Community Shield and stuff like that. Peck just seemingly lives in his head rent-free. Um, and the quality's there. Like, Saliba's obviously excellent. Gabriel's good. But can they keep Haaland quiet for two games in a row? Is that a mathematical possibility? <laughs> I don't think it. I don't think it is. Um, I I've never seen. I've, I can't recall ever seeing Man City have two bad games in a row. And obviously midweek they have a Europa Conference League group, so they'll be fine. Um, I yeah, I just can't. I can't back Arsenal. Like logically, you think no Rodri. Similarish form, Rodri um, no, factors. Yeah, and you're just thinking it's Man City. They'll bounce back. It's not even bouncing back. It's just going back <laughs> to normal. It, it's very weird. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'll I'll say 
I'll say three. I think it'll be a bit more open than usual. I'll say three two City, but I just can't see Arsenal winning that. And if they do, maybe that's a huge moment. But even if they do win it, you just think Pep will go uber bald for two weeks in the international break, and Haaland will come back as some absolute Bobby Firmino false number nine. That'll be terrifying. Um, but no, I'll say three two City. Well, you started the, the podcast hating Spurs fans. They probably were hating you to start the podcast, but I'm pretty sure they'll be loving that result because that would probably mean they would be top of the league heading into the international break, certainly with the 3-1 no, score you've given them for the Luton game. Guy, but that is going to do it for another episode of A Tad Predictable. Do you have anything you want to plug, put over, or promote before we wrap up? I'll be doing your job on Friday with Dave as usual. I don't think I'm hosting anything on Anfield Index in the coming week or so. I'll probably be dragged out in the international break, but um, I think next up, I'm a League Cup person, people, so the Bournemouth (laughs) game will be my next one, unless the usual lads bugger off for a bit. But uh, no, Friday on two footage is probably my next one. All right, thank you. You're on that Brock Lesnar schedule at the moment. Yeah. Guys, from my end, go check out EPR Index website. Their match previews, post-match reviews, player performances, all of the news that you guys could wish for, covering all of the, the VAR opinions that have been going around as well. Uh, there's the daily podcast show that runs weekly. It's the two-footer podcast with Dave Hendrick. Also check out uh, EPR Roundtable with Kev DeVries. Follow this show's Twitter page on, at Tad sorry at a tad predictable on twitter uh follow at epl index on twitter subscribe to epl index podcast channel on your podcast providers give us five stars write positive comments if you feel so inclined that stuff really helps us out i've been Tadio chenakira you can find me on twitter at tad predicts huge thank you to obi semenya he's at john empire sa and jody mckenna she's at spursy 141 for our guest intros he's been guy drinkle He's at Guy Drinkle on Twitter. And remember, Chisinga Perry, Chinoshura. Podcast Network.